Hey, hey, hey! Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 53 of Upon Further Review with Brian Brennan, the Zach Britton episode. And boy, could the Yankees use Zach Britton right now. I am, as usual, your host, Brian Brennan, in the place to be. Happy Monday, folks. Hope you're having a good one out there. Sorry we're dropping the episode a little bit later today. Um, Ethan Winter is on today's episode. And uh, I'm very excited about it. It was a lot of fun recording with Ethan. Uh, But we decided to wait until Monday morning to record the interview portion of the episode. So um, that is why today's episode is coming out a little bit later than than normal. I know we typically drop at midnight, but um, we're coming out a little bit later today. It's worth it, though, I think. Uh, It's good to have Ethan on. It's good to get the Red Sox perspective of this disastrous weekend for the New York Yankees in which they were swept three games in a row to the Boston Red Sox at the stadium. Not a lot of fun this weekend, folks. Uh, I was not having a very good time this weekend uh, watching that game, but um, I recapped it with Ethan, watching that series, I should say, but uh, we recapped all of it uh, with Ethan Winter. It's a good recap. Uh, It's part of Brian's beloved, um, so uh, that Ethan joins us for Brian's Beloved. We also get into a little bit of Ethan's Beloved as well. Of course, we talk about the Red Sox, who just swept the Yankees. Uh, we also talk a little bit about uh, the, the Islanders-Bruins series, which I am as lo- I am very locked into this Islanders-Bruins series right now, folks. Um, it's filling that Knicks void, I would say. It's definitely filling that Knicks void for me. Uh, I, 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 am as lo- I am very locked into the Islanders-Bruins series right now. So I talked about that a little bit with Ethan as well. We also talked about the Celtics uh, firing Danny, or not firing, Danny Age retiring and Brad Stevens going from the fr- head coaching staff uh, to the front office. Um, I'll be interested to see how that goes for the Celtics. I said that on last episode. Uh, and Ethan gives his opinion and plus who he wants to bring in as head coach for the Celtics as well. It's a great interview. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the Yankees' upcoming schedule as well in Brian's Beloved. I don't think I have anything really else to add in Brian's Beloved today. We're also going to do an NBA playoff update because that's been a lot of fun uh, watching these first couple of games. And then we've got the outro for you guys today, a typically loaded outro. we got a lot to get to in today's outro. Um, it should be a good show. Um, this is the Zach Britton episode. Like I said at the intro, Yankees could really use Zach Britton right now. He's a valuable piece out of the bullpen that they could absolutely desperately use. Um, episode 53, this goes out to uh, to a Zach Britton, who I'm a big fan of. I was really happy when the Yankees traded for Zach Britton um, in 2018. He's been a huge addition to the clubhouse, to the team ever since they got him. I was glad they re-signed him. I'm just really bummed that he hasn't pitched at all this season. They could absolutely use him. So uh, episode 53 is the Zach Britton episode. I think you can figure out who episodes 54 and 55 are going to be named after coming up next or later this week and next week as well. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, think I, I think I've introduced this episode long enough, folks. Um, I, I, look, the Yankees were garbage this weekend. That's all I got to say. Like, th- this was a terrible weekend for the Yankees against the Red Sox. They lost all three games. Uh, they looked off. They looked lifeless. They looked lifeless. They looked terrible. Um, unfortunately, I promised Ethan that he could be on the podcast, whether the Red Sox uh, swept the Yankees, or whether the Yankees swept the Red Sox, or anything in between. And that's exactly what happened. So I don't want to delay it any longer. 
Uh, we might as well get into it. It's a long interview, but it's a lot of fun, so I encourage you to listen to all of the Ethan Winter interview. Let's get into today's edition of Brian's Beloved featuring the one and only Ethan Winter. Here we go. All right, it is time for today's edition of Brian's Beloved, where we talk about my favorite teams and how they did this week. For this segment, we are joined by a very special guest. I promised him if he could be on whether the Yankees got swept or did the sweeping, and they got swept. And we're going <laughs> to recap it now. So here he is, noted Red Sox fan, sports writer for the Metro West Daily News, an all-around good dude, and someone who had a much better weekend than I did, Ethan Winter. <laughs> Ethan, how's it going, my dude? The Yankees lose. Oh, God. And for those of you who can't, I mean, none of you can see because you're listening on the podcast. Ethan's wearing a shirt. I think that's Big Poppy's face on it. And it says, the Yankees lose. Uh, And the Yankees did lose three times this weekend to the Red Sox to continue (laughs) an absolute free fall of a season for them that has not gone the way any of us anticipated. Um, I'm sure you're happy, Ethan. I mean, the Red Sox looked pretty good this weekend. I mean, the Yankees just looked awful. Um, what, I'll just ask before we get into the recap of the game, what are your overall thoughts on this series from the Red Sox perspective? I mean, I think it couldn't have gone any better for them, even though they got kind of bailed out last night in the ninth inning. Yes. Um, and, and we'll I'm talk, sure about, we'll that talk later. about that later. But yes, uh, I mean, after coming off of a Tough series with Houston where they uh, lost three out of four in that series. And um, offensively, they didn't do well until the last game of that series. Um, Coming out and sweeping the Yankees, their arch rival, uh, the very next series uh, is, like, great. I mean, especially during the stretch that they are in right now where they – have 23 straight games against uh, playoff teams from last year, even though last year's playoffs was like <laughs> loaded. Yeah. Um, and it was still, a weird 60 game season, which we also have to remember. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We can just, oh, since the Yankees didn't win the World Series it's, and the Dodgers did, we can count that. But yeah. for the most part, it, like we can just like throw out last season. Yes, I agree. Um, but, um, yeah, and, and I think, like, this is – I mean, this stretch of uh, 23 games against uh, 23 playoff teams – or not 23 playoff teams, but 20, a stretch of 23 straight games against playoff against teams. Against playoff teams, yeah. Um, and sweeping the Yankees in that stretch is huge uh, just because this is a, a, a big uh, – measuring stick for the Red Sox this year. And I, I don't think I, I know from myself personally, I didn't think uh, the Red Sox would be 13 games over 500 and uh, have a second tied for the second best record in the American league, third best yeah. record in baseball. Um, so uh, it's a really big measuring stick for them and to, and it will really show us uh, as to whether the Red Sox are for real or not this year, depending on how they do over this next stretch. Uh, they have a game this afternoon against the Miami Marlins. Uh, it's right. a makeup game. 
Um, I expect them to win that this game. I mean, I know the Marlins made the playoffs last year, but I don't really consider them a <laughs> team. Yeah, me neither. But, uh, technically, they were, so I guess it counts. But, um, I mean, and I think the next full series is against Toronto. They're um, good. I know Toronto's which, good. Well, yeah. we get Toronto, I think, is in, they're either fourth or third or fourth. They're third. They're third. They're ahead of us. They're, the Yankees <laughs> are in fourth place. Yep, after this weekend, the yeah, Yankees are so, in fourth place. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, oh, actually, no, they have Houston again after the Marlins and then Toronto. Uh, so, two of my favorite teams. <laughs> yeah, so um, that – I mean, this is a big, big stretch for the Red Sox, and sweeping the Yankees could not have gotten any better for them during this stretch. All right, so let's recap the games. Unfortunately, we got to recap all three of them, and um, <laughs> that's what we do around here uh, in Brian's beloved. Um, we will start in the first game, top of the first inning. Red Sox get two men on. Mike King was one strike away from getting out of it. Instead. Raphael Devers, who I've been very impressed with, I have to say, um, hit a long home run into the second deck. I mean, he's having a great season for you guys, Devers. I mean, they talked about him all weekend. That was his 15th home run of the season. That was, and it was a bomb, like I said. That made it 3 nothing Sox. Um, King, actually, I thought settled down pretty nicely. Um, he pitched an immaculate inning. That was the first immaculate inning for the Yankees since 2017 uh, when Dylan Batances did it. So uh, that was impressive. But, um, again, the Yankees did not do much, not much offensively in this game. Um, Livaldi did a pretty good job, I thought. Uh, his line was six innings, seven strikeouts, uh, kind of a theme of the game. The Yankees had 15 strikeouts in this game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Evaldi, I thought, did pretty good shutting the Yankees down. In the sixth inning, the Red Sox expanded on their lead. Marwin Gonzalez, who people seem to have conveniently forgot, played for the 2017 Astros. I thought he was going to get a lot more booze this weekend at the stadium. He did not. Uh, he had an RBI double to make it five. It scored two runs to make it 5 nothing Red Sox in the top of the sixth inning. That was off Licky, Lucas Licky, who had a bit of a rough series. Uh, and that was it for the Red Sox. The Yankees scored two runs. Aaron Judge hit a home run in the sixth inning. Uh, opposite field shot to right field off of Aldi. Uh, and they scored another run that inning on a, an error by um, Gonzalez uh, that, that enabled uh, Gio Urshela to score. But that was it. Uh, they got shut down, like I said, 15 strikeouts in this game for the Yankees. They hit into two more double plays. Uh, and the bottom half of the order for the Yankees, Odor, Frazier, Sanchez, and Andujar went a combined, let's see, uh, 8, 12, 0 for 15. Yep, 0 for 15. Uh, Red Sox, on the other hand, I'm looking at their box score now, got production from all their main guys. Uh, Xander Bogart's got two hits. Devers hit the three-run home run. Marwin Gonzalez had two hits. Uh, they did their job. Um, they came to the Yankee Stadium and uh, they won the opening Friday game. Ethan, what are your thoughts on this Friday win for the Sox? I mean, I, I, to, to be honest, I was working, so I didn't see much of this game at, at all. But I did see that highlight uh, of uh, Rafael Devers taking Mike King deep, um, who actually he pitched at Boston College, I believe. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I didn't even know that. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but I was actually kind of impressed by Mike King and that he was able to kind of 
stay in the game as long as he did and really limited the damage after that first inning. Um, but I, I saw the stat where, like, the Yankees are, um, like, have a terrible record when their opponent scores four or more runs. So yeah. as soon as the Red Sox <laughs> scored four runs, I was pretty confident. So and that I mean, was really the theme for the entire entire series, too. I mean, as soon as as soon as Devers hit that home run, I kind of had a feeling the game was pretty much <laughs> over. I, that was like a that was a like he was one strike away from getting out of it, and he gives up a bomb. Ugh, it was that was crushing to me. Uh, and you're right. I, I am impressed with King. Uh, he did settle down nicely. This was the game you and I were talking offline. Um, yeah. Obviously, obviously they lost all three games, but I thought they were going to lose this game if they were going to lose any of them. Um, and they did. Um, but yeah, um, Sox win this one five to two, and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the weekend. Let's move into the Saturday game. Um, nationally televised on my favorites, Fox. Um they um, the scoring started in the bottom of the fourth inning. Uh, there was no scoring for the first three innings until Glaber Torres comes up, hits a long home run, pimps it a little bit, which I, I like. I'm okay with that. Um, it was a bomb, and um, it was his third home run of the year. Uh, that made it two nothing Yankees. It wouldn't last um, in the sixth inning. Um, I don't know how much you saw of this game, Ethan, but Miguel Andujar in left field completely misplayed a ball hit by <laughs> Xander Bogarts. Uh, I would have been an out. I think most normal left fielders would have caught this ball. I think Brett Gardner, for example, would have caught this ball. But instead, Miguel Andujar misplays it, goes over his head. That puts runners on second and third. And Rafael Devers comes through again for the Sox with a two-run single to tie the game at two. More bad defense from the Yankees. Uh, and then they add to it later that inning. Uh, Loizaga comes in and Marwin Gonzalez again, who just absolutely killed the Yankees all three games. Um, like he did in the 2017 ALCS for the Astros, <laughs> uh, the Astros, as I call them, uh, yeah. it's, it's an RBI double to make it three, two Red Sox. Uh, Yankees would tie it. Um, they get a, a sack fly from Glaber Torres, uh, his third RBI of the day, in the bottom of the sixth inning. Um, but then um, Kike Hernandez in the eighth inning. Now, this is kind of funny because I was watching the game alone, and I don't know why. I was kind of trash-talking out loud, but even though I was watching the game alone. And I said out loud, I was like, why would Kike Hernandez go from the Dodgers to the Red Sox? Who would do that? And then he, he, must, have heard, he must have heard me because he hit an RBI double to give the Red Sox a 4-3 lead. Uh, Christian Vasquez followed that up with another opposite field double to right field to make it 5-3 Red Sox. And then your boy Dahlbeck, who I believe you said on this podcast, Ethan, was going to win Rookie of the Year. Um, hit, I don't know was, if he'll do that, but. Yeah, you said he was going <laughs> to hit. You, I think your exact words were he's going to hit 40 home runs. He's only got six so far this year. Yeah. This was this was his sixth. Off but Chad it was Green. also his most impressive, too. It, it was a bomb. It was a no doubt. 453 uh, feet. It was a no <laughs> doubt. It was a Stanton-type home run. Um, that made it 7-3, and that was the final score. Um, I'll go into the pitching line for the Yankees first. Tyone gave up three runs again. That's pretty much what we expect from him. Um, Chad Green gets credited with the loss. He gave up – it was a bad game for Chad Green. He gave up all four runs in the seventh inning. Um, it's not been his usual dominant self this season. Um, let's see. Um, Gio Urshela, I thought, played well at third base. I mean, he's really nice defensively. I, I think he should be a gold glove finalist this year, and he also had two hits. 
that's one positive I can take away from this game. And Chris Gittens made his major league debut, which a lot of Yankee fans were also really excited for because the Yankees' first base situation has been so bad. Um, and they called him up, and um, he went 0 for 3, but it is good to see him get his chance. Uh, other than that, uh, not a whole lot. Uh, Stanton went 0 for 4. Judge, who played center field again, went 0 for 3 with a walk. Uh, Andujar 0 for 3. Um, Gittens in his major league debut, 0 for 3. Uh, yeah, more well, not not great hitting from this Yankee team again. Uh, they hit into another double play. Clint Frazier hit into I think at that point was the 56th double play of the season <laughs> for the Yankees. I believe they added two more last night. Uh, as far as the Red Sox goes, um, I'll give Adam Ottavino a little bit of love because he pitched a clean inning against his former team, and I'm sure that had to feel weird for him. Um, and he pitched last night too. I'm happy for Otto that he's doing well for the Red Sox. He's the only one I'm happy for, really. Uh, about Whitlock? Whitlock? Whitlock got the win. Uh, he pitched an <laughs> inning in two-thirds. Um, struck out two. Uh, Erod struck out seven. Uh, offensively for the Sox, Verdugo had two hits. Devers had two hits. Renfro had two hits. This is a good team, and they proved it again with this impressive eighth-inning rally for the Sox. What's your perspective on this game, Ethan? I'm sure you felt really good after this one. Yeah, so Whitlock uh... – he also came from, from the Yankees. Uh, That's a, a good you're right. guy. You are right. Correct. Uh, and so that he's been nails for the Red Sox for the most part. He's kind of he's kind of versatile. He can pitch in like in the late innings as a setup guy, but he's also proven to be able to pitch multiple innings as kind of a long relief guy as well. Yeah. Um, one uh, and the Red Sox also got Workman back um, from the Cubs, uh, yeah. so Heim really kind of fleeced the uh, Phillies in that deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, getting Nick Pavetta, who didn't pitch this weekend, um, and Connor Siebold, who's down in Triple uh, A Worcester, um, from uh, the Phillies in exchange for Heath Embry and. Brandon Workman when the Red Sox got Workman back, but yeah, it was a little frustrating that Workman could not finish the ninth inning after getting two quick outs. He walked the, the next two guys, which forced the Red Sox to have to use Matt Barnes, who um, struggled uh, uh, last night and yeah, his second blown save of the year. Um, but it just kind of goes to show, even though he threw five only five pitches on Saturday, like him having to work kind of like affected um, how he pitched yesterday in his third straight day of work. So um, hopefully Workman can kind of clean that up. What walks have always been a issue for him. Um, but yeah. And actually also, I, I only watched the really the end of this game mostly just because uh is also is on the, at the same time as the Bruins game against right. the Islanders, which the Islanders won, and uh, we'll be talking yeah. about that a little bit later um, when we preview Game Five of that series, which is tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's a good point. I wonder if if Barnes was tired going into the Sunday game, uh, and that caused him to um, to blow the like save. I don't know if maybe you know coming in on that Saturday game affected him at all. Uh, I just have one last thing before we move into the Sunday game. <laughs> Um, in the eighth inning, I forgot to mention this, all the runs for the Red Sox were scored with two outs. Uh, I just noticed this now looking at the box score. Uh, Hernandez's double was with two outs. Dahl, uh, Dahlbeck's home run and Vasquez's double were all with two outs. 
that situational hitting that I wish the Yankees could do, <laughs> but they haven't been able to at any point this season. It's been a struggle and it's frustrating. And everybody was mad after this loss. Um, and uh, everybody's frustrated after this weekend, I would say. A lot of frustration right now in Yankee land. So let's get into the Sunday game. Uh, this was the one I thought the Yankees might have a chance to win. Um, did not get off to a great start. Alex Verdugo uh, hit a long home run, another really long home run by the Red Sox, uh, into the right field bleachers off Domingo Herman. That made it one nothing. but the Yankees did bounce back. Uh, Gary Sanchez hit an RBI double. Um uh, with the bases loaded in the bottom of the first inning to make it 2-1. Uh, it's good to see Gary finally contribute, even if it's just a little bit. Um, even if the team is playing like shit, it's, it's nice to see Gary get a hit like that. Uh, Yankees would add to their lead. Uh, I believe they would have the bases loaded again, and Aaron Judge crowded into a fielder's choice. Uh, yeah, it was a ground ball up the middle. I'm looking at it now. Nice play, actually, uh, by Marwin Gonzalez, but um, it was an out. Scored a run that made it 3-1. Yankees waste another bases-loaded opportunity where they don't <laughs> score multiple runs. That's a story for another day. Marwin Gonzalez kills the Yankees once again in the seventh inning. I mentioned Litke. Uh, Domingo Herman, I thought, actually pitched pretty well in this game. And um, I don't know if I would have gone to Litke personally. Um, he struggled in the Friday game. And uh, he struggled in this game, too, giving up the home run to Gonzalez in the top of the seventh inning. That ties the game at three. Uh, and that brings us to the eighth inning. Ah, the eighth inning, where uh, it starts out, little pop fly by, by Christian Arroyo, I think it was. Um, DJ should catch this, right? It should be easy. It should be an easy out. DJ, it, drops in between, it drops in between the right fielder, DJ, at first base, and nobody catches it. Um, Arroyo ends up on second. They move him to third. Xander Bogart sends the sacrifice fly to make it 4-3. And I'm just like, at that point, I'm just like, I got my arms up in frustration. I'm like, what, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong now? Right? Like everything that can go wrong in the series could go wrong. By the way, they hit into two more double plays in this game to have 58 on the season now. So at that point, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pissed off. Um, start the inning off with a, this get to the bottom of the ninth inning. Now Barnes comes in. We mentioned this Barnes pitching in his second straight day of work. Comes third, in, straight day. third straight day of work. Yeah. Good point. Yep. Correct. Third straight day of work for Barnes. And um, clearly tired, I would say. Um, Judge walks to lead off the inning. Um, Glaber Torres um, hits an RBI double. No throw. Judge ties the game. Yankees then load the base. Or actually, they get – hang on. Let me pull up the situation for a minute here. Um, they get um, – Glaber's on third. Um, they intentionally walk Sanchez. Uh, runners at the so, corners. Yeah, yeah runners right. at the corner. And then Glaber, uh, yeah, runners at the corners. Odor comes up. And uh, they get the count to the full on Odor. And the 3-2 pitch, <laughs> I thought, was extremely outside. I thought it was as far – I'll be honest. I was, I was at Michael Edgley's house, and I was on my way home from Michael Edgley's house. So I was listening to John Sterling. And John Sterling – the way John Sterling described it was it was just like a normal strike three call. And then when they came back from break, it was like Phil Nevin's arguing, Marcus Timms is arguing, Mendoza's arguing, all the coaches are arguing for the Yankees. That's except for Aaron Boone. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I, have, and I have something to bring up about that too. And so you, you mentioned how all the coaches are arguing except for Aaron Boone. And my my the thing I want to bring up is, do you think 
uh, Aaron Boone by not showing any emotion, by not sticking up for his players, by not getting thrown out of out of that game for arguing balls and strikes. Um, do you think when he obviously should have, and as yes. a Red Sox fan, I mean, I'll take that third strike, called third strike, but I mean, it was obviously a ball. Yeah. Um, but I mean, do you think Aaron Boone potentially has lost the Yankee locker room? I don't know, man. It's tough to say because it was, I thought it was refreshing. You know, Phil Nevin, let's say Phil Nevin, for example, he just came back from COVID. He's, he's dealing with, he's had to deal with blood clots. He almost died and he's out there arguing and being all firing, being all fiery. And I, I just, it's, I don't understand why Aaron Boone was so lifeless there. I would have gone out and argued if I was Boone. I don't understand why the other coaches went out and argued and not Boone. Like, I don't yeah. get that at all. I don't get that at all. And, like, and, and Boone to is be the honest, manager. Yeah. To be honest, when um, I heard that Nevin got tossed, I thought, oh, did Aaron Boone already get tossed earlier no. in the game? And then I saw him in the, in the dugout just like, da 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 Like... <laughs> It's, like, it's, it's just yeah. like, then this is the guy who went out there in 2019 and had that epic, you know, savages in the box rant. And like, it would, he, it, it would it turn out to backfire. I, 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 mean, I, would, I would, I would disagree because they won a hundred plus games that season, but that's another story. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, yeah. either way, um, look, Aaron Boone has gotten ejected a couple times this season, but I would have liked to have seen a little bit more fire. I, I agree. Yeah, that I would. And that's why I think a lot of Yankee fans have issue with Aaron. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of Yankee fans have had issue with Boone this season, why people want a move to be made. Like a lot of people want change now, like a lot, whether it's Cashman or Boone, I don't think they're going to make a change just yet, but I, I know a lot of Yankee fans are already in that. We need to make a change right now. Move. Um, is, is, is Boone's uh, seat getting warm? or is it I, would, I, would, I would say it's getting a little warm. If they're going to keep playing like this, I would say it's definitely getting a little warm. Now, I would I, – before we get into um, – because we do have to finish the scoring of this game. But um, before we get into that, um, I would like to say uh, to all the people who want to bring in Buck Showalter, stop. <laughs> Just stop. That's not, that's not a good idea. That's a terrible idea. Buck Showalter is not the person who's going to turn around the Yankees. Like I would be okay. If, I would be interested in change. I would be. I would not be interested in that kind of change. I would like to make that very clear. Who, who, um, who if, if Boone is fired, who would you? I, want? I haven't even thought of it yet, man. Somebody asked me that last night. I would have to look at all the available names. I don't know who they would bring in. I, I mean, Carlos Beltran's still available. True, true. I don't know if that'd be. I don't know. Um, <laughs> all right, let's let's just let's minute let's wrap up this game because it it sucked. Um, I'm, I'm over talking about this series. Um, the Red Sox get two on. We get to Manfred Ball, uh, runner on second uh, to start extra innings. Um, it's Vasquez again on second, and uh, they walked Dahlbeck. Uh, Red Sox, I think, uh, bunted over to th- the second yeah. and third, and Xander comes up, and Xander hits an RBI double. Of course he does. Off Sessa. I think Sessa was also tired as well. Sessa's pitched a lot lately. Um, that makes it six, four socks uh, in the bottom of the 10th inning. Of course, the Yankees start with a runner on second. Um, they, it's uh, Odor, who, of course, got called out on the controversial third strike in the ninth inning. Uh, they get two outs. Uh, Tyler Wade comes up uh, and he hits an infield single. And there's a throwing error by Marwin Gonzalez. Uh, Wade moves to second um, and DJ comes up and 
look, I'll be honest. DJ has been really struggling. Like he's not doing as good as he was last season. And um, this is a situation I said on the last episode, people are being a little harsh on DJ. I think this is a situation where I really believe DJ would have gotten a hit last season or the season before that. Instead, he grounds out the second makes a kind of a nice play by Gonzalez, a little slide backhand play uh, to end it. Uh, ball game over. Yankees lose. They get swept by the Red Sox. Shitty, shitty weekend for the Yankees. Great weekend for your team, Ethan. Um, yeah. Fi- final. Th- I'll give you. Go ahead. Give your final thoughts on this this glorious sweep for your Red Sox. So I mentioned how how big getting a sweep against the rival was, um, just because of the stretch of uh, twenty three straight games against playoff teams. Um, that they're in right now, but also just kind of putting things in perspective, the Yankees, especially at Yankee stadium, the last two years have really dominated the Red Sox last year. They were nine and one Um, the year before. I think they won 13 out of uh, 18 or 19 games. Yeah. Um, And, um, and I think the Red Sox had not there was a string uh, prior to Friday night where the Yankees won 11 straight games against the Red Sox at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. So that the so the fact that they were able to not only win one game, not only win two games, but to Three. sweep the entire series at Yankee Stadium, I think that's a huge momentum booster. Also, it gives the Red Sox a ton of confidence in playing the Yankees. Um, again later on in the in the season and um i i think it can only mean uh good things for this red sox team moving forward this is the first time the red sox have swept the yankees at yankee stadium since 2011 um so it's been a long time and um they will play each other again at fenway on june 25th 26th and 27th i'm looking at the schedule right now um so I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully we'll see what happens. The Yankees got to start playing some better baseball. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to do this all separately. I'll preview the twin series coming up next uh, separately. Uh, but I just want to very quickly go into the Yankees box score this final game. Cause um, some more ugly stuff here. Uh, LeMahieu went over five. Um, I mean, not, it's not all bad. Judge had two hits. Torres had two hits. Keo had two hits. Gary Sanchez had two hits, but DJ going over five. And now hitting 253 on the season um, is very disappointing because he gave him the big contract and he made that error. Like, I mean, I don't know if he got the one who, I don't think they charged an error to anybody on that ball that dropped in. Actually, they didn't charge an error to anybody on the ball that dropped in between them. They could have, honestly, to DJ because he should have caught that. Um, so I think Gabriel said that that should have been an error too. Yeah, I was really surprised they didn't. I, I mean, I had it on mute because I hate ESPN, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, I, 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 I agree with A-Rod there. I thought it should have been an error on DJ. Um, but, the, yeah, just an ugly series. And like I said, um, I'm sorry, I, I, I shortchanged the Yankees a little bit here. They actually hit into three double plays last night. Uh, <laughs> Labor Torres hit into one. Miguel Andujar hit into two, including the one in the – I forgot to mention this in the bottom of the 10th inning when they had two on and nobody out. So, um, yeah, uh, that was a rally killer. This series sucks for the Yankees, and uh, I am glad it's over. The Yankees are playing some garbage baseball, and I am actually, for the first time, I would say, arguably in my life, 
happy that they have a day off today so they don't I don't have to watch them play and suffer through any more of this crap because <laughs> this is just this is just awful um, like I said I'm going to preview the Minnesota series on my own um, after this um, and just give you the probable pitching matchups and the upcoming schedule for the Yankees and all that but first um, Ethan while I have you on the line uh, I figure now is a good time to talk a little uh, well, actually, I'll give you the option. Do you want to talk about the Celtics front office shakeup first or Islanders Bruins? Which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, let's talk Islanders Bruins and then we'll uh, finish with uh, the Celtics shakeup. Sounds good to me. Um, all right. So this series has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Um, Islanders, won, sorry, the Bruins won the first game five to two. Islanders bounced back on the second game in overtime. Uh, even though the Bruins came back, the Islanders had a 3 1 lead and the Bruins came back. Uh, tie it. The Islanders won in overtime on a Sezikis goal. Um, third game was great um, at the Coliseum. Atmosphere was incredible. Atmosphere at both of these places has been really great. Um, TD Garden and Nassau Coliseum. I've been really impressed. The third game was a lot of fun too. It was 1-1 going into the overtime. The Islanders, I thought, were really dominating that overtime. Um, but then Marshawn, yeah. just out of nowhere, gets a shot on goal and it completely fools Varley and um, goes into the net. Um, and Bruins win that one. The fourth game, uh, Islanders win 4-1, but um, it was really 2-1. I was going to say it was closer than the final score indicated because the Islanders got two empty net goals. Uh, thoughts and prayers to anybody who had the uh, the under in that one because I heard <laughs> it was four. I heard it was four and a half, and uh, oh, uh, they, the Islanders scored two empty net goals. So uh, that's a bad beat. But um, so this is a great series. I'm looking forward to Game Five tonight. I am rooting for the Islanders. Um, Ethan. Um, from the Bruins' perspective, uh, what, what I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, you you seem pretty pissed at the Islanders offline when we were talking about this series. Yeah. So what I mean, this has been fun. What, what's your thoughts on the Bruins Islanders series? I mean, coming in, I knew that this series was going to be uh, tight, uh, just because in the regular season, uh, the Islanders really dominated the, the, the Bruins in the first half of the year, but then towards the second half of the season, it kind of switched, and the Bruins uh, kind of had their way against the Islanders. Um, but, I mean, I got to say, I mean, the Islanders, they're scrappy. And, yeah. And they're really gritty, um, and they make things difficult. I mean, uh, I was talking to my uh, other friends um, during game four, and just saying that, um, I mean, who would have thought that the Islanders series would be a lot more difficult than the Capitals series because yes. the Capitals, after they lost game two, I mean, they kind of just laid, laid down. And, yes. And, and the it was glorious to see. In five games. It yeah, was glorious so, to see. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, the more of my animosity – Towards the Islanders, more is more of um, Balzar, um, Barzal, yeah, Barzal, whatever. <laughs> um, I mean, yes, yes, uh, David Krejci did um, spear him or slash him, but he also um, embellished a little, I think. Um, and really, I think game four, the officiating was very um, on both sides. Bad on both sides, yeah. I mean, they, I mean, the whole reason why Barzal got slashed to begin with by Krejci is because he was giving Krejci like four or five uncalled cross checks to the back, 
true uh, yeah. that went uncalled and uh and then the the, the fact that um they even like initially gave crazy a, a major for that slash um yeah i thought that was weird ridiculous. too and i like, didn't like that and if anything it, if they're going to review they should have reviewed of whether it was a ma- matching penalties which yeah. it should have been but at least they got the knocked it down to the two minute minor. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I thought in game four the uh, I I thought the Bruins were overpassing a little bit. They had some uh, nice shooting lanes that they kind of passed up to make one extra pass that ended up getting poked away uh, by the Islanders a lot. And then I mean, as soon as D- David uh, Pasternak. Uh, miss that wide open net. Yeah. Like I, I, number one, I was sick to my stomach. Number two, <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Like this collective sigh of relief on Long game. Island. Collective what? sigh of relief. Collective sigh of relief oh, on yeah. Long Island when that hit the post. I mean, um, honest, honestly, that was probably the worst miss I've ever seen. Yeah. In the game of hockey. I mean, you got. From a guy who uh, uh, normally buries right. that too, a thousand yeah, exactly. times. I mean, you have a Hart Trophy candidate, um, uh, a Rocket Richard uh, goal scoring can- uh, champion and candidate, um, the wide open net, and he just mess. He just misses it. He hits yeah. the post. I mean, it, that was just bad, and I think that was a bad omen. Even though the Bruins did end up scoring. Their first, uh, the first goal in that game on a dirty goal by uh, Krejci. I mean, yeah. it was just it, it. seemed like the Bruins were just trying to hang on, uh, and they never really seemed in control. Unlike in uh, Game Three, where they were uh, constantly peppering uh, yeah. Varlamov. And I mean, if if the Bruins played the way that they did in game three that they, they did in game four. Um, then Marshan doesn't score that goal because he would have passed it off to someone else. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> um, so like, I mean, yes, you want to pass the puck, but if you, I think, I mean, Bruce Cassidy, I think he just needs to say, Hey, if you see an open shooting lane, just throw it on the net. Um, because that's what happened in game three in overtime and the yep. Bruins end up winning. And, and a lot of the, the a lot of the, um, Islanders goals too have come on like second or third chance opportunities. Just, I mean, a lot of dirty goals on the Islanders side and they're just throwing it on, on net and seeing what happens. And that's what, and this has always been my, uh, philosophy in, in the game of hockey especially when, when it's overtime hockey just like as, get to the net as, yeah throw it throw the puck on net because anything can happen and obviously anything has happened in this series so it's, it's been such a great series um you know i really um the other guy i i really like the identity line for the islanders like i i Zizekas, clutterbuck and martin like i i think it's kind of interesting to contrast between the bruins they have the perfection line of um, Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marshawn, and the Islanders have the uh, the identity line, and I think it's it's an interesting contrast the two teams, uh, their signature lines, and I'll, I'll, this has been a fun series. I'm interested in it as well. 
in the coaching matchup because Cassidy's a great coach and Barry Trotz, of course, is a Stanley Cup champion coach um, who's been great ever since he's come to the Islanders. He's really turned them around. Um, So I I think this is going to be like, I think this series has gone at least six or seven. I mean, obviously it's gone six, but I think this has seven games. Like I, I, I already like told my friends, like, I don't know if I can come out on Friday night. Cause I, the, there might be an Islander Bruins game seven that night. Like I want to watch this series. It's going to be a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to seeing how it shapes out. Yeah. Uh, all right. I, so uh, I, One last thing is I think this game's going to go. I mean, obviously I think it's going to go back and forth. I think the Bruins are going to win tonight at, at the garden. I think the Islanders are going to win on Wednesday. Yeah. And then I think anything can happen in, in game seven, obviously. So the Islanders uh, are not going to want to close out Nassau Coliseum with a loss like they, that. That's for sure. So right, yeah. um, we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll see how that goes in, in uh, game uh, the rest of the series. I'm looking forward to it for sure. And then just finally, uh, obviously, big shakeup with the Celtics last week. Um, Brad Stevens is leaving uh, the front off or the head coaching job to take a job in the front office, which I thought was interesting. When I first saw that, I think I had the same reaction as everybody else that Brad Stevens is going to do both jobs. He's going to yeah, be that's the front what I thought. That's what we all thought, right? Like that's what yeah. we all thought. And so instead, uh, he's just going to do the front office job. Danny Ainge has uh, retired. Um, good for him. Long career, uh, successful career, I would say as well. Um, yeah. Some, some, some moves that didn't work out, but a lot that did. So um, give Danny Ainge some respect. Um, and so, yeah, I'm interested to see how Brad Stevens does in this front office role. Um, I'm interested to see who they bring in as head coach. This is a big offseason, I think, for the Celtics. Uh, from a Celtics fan's perspective, what, what are your thoughts on Stevens going to the front office and what they need to do this offseason? And head coaching, who would you, you bring in? Um, well, obviously, I think I was surprised by the, the Stevens move. Yeah, um, I didn't, but I do say I don't think I didn't. I never thought that the the Celtics were, were going to fire Brad Stevens as a head coach. Um, but obviously, it it um, it turned out. I mean, there's been rumblings, but like I never believed believed them. But apparently. Um, Brad just the has a or last season for whatever reason wasn't able to get through to some of the players anymore and so obviously when that happens and he's been there for eight years obviously when that happens I think uh, uh, change is necessary I'm glad Brad is staying with the uh, Celtics organization because I really like Brad Stevens and it kind of makes sense a little bit. Um, he has youngish kids, um, so being in the front office, he's not traveling as much. He can spend more, a little bit more time with his family, um, uh, and also, I mean, going to uh, Danny Ainge. He's been with the Celtics for almost twenty years at this point. Yeah, I think he took over in two thousand in the mid, middle of the two thousand two playoffs. Uh, in the Celtics, I think that year it was the semifinal yeah. series with the Nets. Um, and the year before was the conference final. Yeah. Um, I, he's been with the, team, the Celtics for 20 years in, the, in that front office role, which is ridiculous for how long yeah. he's been able to stay. And 
Um, and it, he, he really is a, a Celtic through and through. Yeah, his, uh, his buddy Kevin McHale to thank <laughs> a little yeah. bit uh, with uh, Kevin Garnett uh, <laughs> coming over here. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think Danny did a good job for the most part, but towards the end of the season or the last few years where people were starting to get a little frustrated was um, was with his lack of moves or – and I, and I think at times Danny was trying to um, get the perfect, make the perfect trade instead of making the right trade. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of backfired on him, like this year with um, Miles Turner, but also that wasn't completely in his control. Uh, Gordon Hayward would have had to agree to go to Indiana. Um but the Charlotte Hornets obviously offered Gordon Hayward more, so yeah. that's why um, he got what he got from from Charlotte, which kind of stinks because the Hornets really didn't have anyone worth trading for, and which is why they got the trade exception. Yeah. Um, in exchange, um, but on the for the uh, coaching aspect, uh, stay the hell away from Jason Kidd. <laughs> Um, uh, I would be interested in, um, Jay Laranaga, um, who has had a very successful career at, in college as well as an assistant at, at in the NBA. Um, yeah. he's, he's an established guy. Um, but also I've heard a lot of people talk about possibly Carol Lawson, or um wow Mike really Hammond. carol carol lawson wow that's that'd be cool yeah so carol lawson she spent the year with the celtics as an assistant coach and whatever she did the team really responded well to what she had to say and that yeah. was one of their best years defensively and obviously this season uh defense is a huge problem and really defense across the nba is a huge problem because yeah. like teams should not be scoring a hundred points by three by the end of the third quarter in the playoffs <laughs> game, like that's they ridiculous. are that's how it but is. But they yeah. are right, exactly. And I kind of miss that old like early two thousands NBA where it was, and even nineties NBA where um, they were a little bit lower scoring than the games in the regular season because that's when teams actually played defense is yeah. in the playoffs. Um, yeah. And and also Becky Hand and Carol Lawson left last year to coach Duke women's basketball. Yes, um, I remember, yeah. Um, and you kind of saw the drop-off um, defensively for the Celtics this year. And also Becky Hammond has spent what seems like a dozen years under – Greg Popovich. I don't. I don't know if she's been there that for that long, but she's been there for uh, a long time in San Antonio, uh, learning from one of the best coaches in NBA history, and so I yeah. think she's uh, an excellent candidate uh, for yeah. the Celtics as well. I will say, um, if any sport is going to have a women head coach anytime soon, it will be the NBA. Um, there are a lot of great candidates. I think Carol Lawson would be a great candidate. Um, I remember when she was a broadcaster for the Wizards a couple of years ago, she was really great and 
just knew so much about basketball. I learned a lot about basketball just from watching <laughs> Carol Austin broadcast. And I'm really yeah. glad that she's now the head coach at Duke. And um, that would be a really great – she's a rising star in the basketball world. So I'd be really happy for her. And, of course, Becky Hammond as well would be really great too. Um, but just, yeah, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't give Carol Austin a little bit of love. I'd be happy for her to get the job for sure. Um, before I let you go, Ethan, um, thank you again for joining me today. Um, it's been rough recapping the series, but, um, <laughs> I appreciate you joining me nonetheless. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add today? Uh, not, uh, not really just, uh, Verdugo Red Sox. So, <laughs> uh, uh, all right. I've had enough Red Sox talk for one day. Um, I appreciate you joining me, Ethan. Uh, I will talk to you next time, man. Th and thank you for listening, everybody. All right. See ya. See ya. Okay, now that Ethan's gone, I can say what I really want to say. The Yankees stink right now. They're playing like garbage. It's disappointing. It's disheartening. It's one of the most frustrating stretches of baseball I have watched as a Yankee fan. They look lifeless. They look dead. They, they look like they have no emotion, no heart whatsoever at all. This was a huge test for them this weekend against the Red Sox. A gigantic test for them against the Red Sox. They went out there and sucked. They were terrible. They embarrassed themselves. It was embarrassing the way they played against the Reds, honestly. They should be ashamed of themselves. I'm glad. Like I said on the Ethan interview, I'm glad they have today off. I'm glad I don't have to watch the Yankees today. I'm glad I can go out. It's a beautiful day outside. As soon as I'm done recording this podcast, I'm going to go outside and enjoy the rest of my day and not think about the Yankees <laughs> because they have consumed too much of my time right now and they're playing like garbage. I'm still going to watch every game because I'm a loyal, diehard Yankee fan who never misses a game, but... I'd be lying if I said this is I'd be lying if I didn't say this is one of the most lifeless, pathetic stretches of baseball I have seen from the Yankees. Now I don't know if a change needs to be made. Uh, I, 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 I it's we're getting that way, right? And they're they're they are playing like dog shit right now. This is they they had a huge homestand this week. A huge seven game homestand against Tampa Bay and Boston. They went two and five. Two and five. That is unacceptable. Unacceptable. Ugh. Playing some garbage baseball right now. Luckily, they are playing a team this week that is also not playing great this season. Now, that didn't matter much when they went to Detroit last weekend, but they are playing the Minnesota Twins on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week. Let's get into the pitching matchups of the series. All three games are at Target Field in Minnesota. The first game is at 8 o'clock on Tuesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, I should say. Uh, Jordan Montgomery will be on the hill for the Yankees against the former Yankee, Michael Pineda, who is 3-3 three three with a 3.40 earned run average. On Wednesday, it's Cole Day. Uh, Garrett Cole coming off his worst start of the season against Tampa Bay, in which he got shelled for five runs, will be pitching against Randy Dobnak. Um, I remember Randy Dobnak because he started Game 2 of the 2019 ALDS uh, for the Twins against the Yankees. And uh, everybody gave him shit for being an Uber driver. Um, I, I look, I don't knock the guy. Like it's a hard, it's hard out. It's hard out here. You got to make a living somehow, right? I can't knock the guy that much. It was fun to chant like Uber, Uber, but it was a little mean. I mean, that guy's just trying to make a living out here. It's hard for people in minor league baseball to make livings out here. So I actually respect him for for doing that while he was pursuing his baseball dreams. Anyway, he's pitching against Cole. That game's at 8 o'clock on Wednesday night. 
uh, at Target Field in Minnesota. On Thursday, another former Yankee, Jay Happ, will be pitching for the Twins. Uh, he's 3-2 with a 5.61 ERA. By the way, I forgot to give you Dobnak's line. He's 1-5 with a 6.19 ERA. Like I said, the Twins have not been good this season. Um, Happ, like I said, 3-2 with a 5.61 ERA. Yankees have not named a starter yet for the Thursday game, but I would have to imagine it's going to be Mike King. Um, we talked about it in the Ethan interview, but Mike King actually, I thought, pitched pretty well, all things considered, in that Boston game, uh, other than the home run to Devers, which might honestly still be going. Um, I actually thought King pitched pretty well, so um, maybe he can shut down the Minnesota Twins lineup. Uh, I don't know. The Twins are 24 and 35. Let's go to the standings. How far? Uh, yeah, they're in last place. Um, they have won two games in a row, but they are in last place. Um, look, take care of business. Business, business, as I almost said. Get back on track. Um, I know you got swept by Detroit last weekend. Another similar AL Central team. Season needs to get back on track, and it needs to get back on track now. These Minnesota games are must-win, period. Like, you got to win these games. You're much better than the Twins. At least on paper, you're much better than the Twins. So, yeah, that's the series coming up for the Yankees. I mentioned this on the Friday episode. They have a day off on Friday, which I am very confused about. I don't really get. I don't. Somebody's going to have to explain that to me. I have never seen the Yankees have a Friday day off before. So it makes no sense to me. Um... And after that, they go to Philly for a two-game series, a Saturday-Sunday series. I don't. Was that like a COVID thing? Did they like build in a day off because of COVID? I don't. I don't know. I don't get this at all. Uh, somebody is going to have to explain this to me. Uh, after they play Philly, they have another day off on Monday. A week from today, they have another day off. Um, and then they go to Buffalo. Uh, the Blue Jays are now back in Buffalo uh, after a couple months in Dunedin. Uh, they are in Buffalo to play uh, the Blue Jays. Those three games are all at 7 o'clock, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we'll preview that as we get a little bit closer. But the Yankees absolutely need to get it together. I don't know what I would do, honestly, to turn this team around. I don't know who I would bring in as manager if Aaron Boone were to go. I know it's not Buck Showalter. I know Buck Showalter is not the answer for this team. Um, but, yeah, uh, I'm disappointed in this weekend series to the Sox. Uh, I'm disappointed with their recent play, and um, just turn it around. Just just turn it around, Yankees. That's that's all I gotta say. Um, you have the talent, and there were some promising things. Okay, look, I'm happy for Chris Gittens getting his his chance, even though he hasn't gotten a hit yet. I'm glad he's up in the major leagues. I'm glad you know they finally called him up and gave him his chance. Sevy, it sounds like he's on his way back. Zach Britton, who this episode is named after. Sounds like he's on his way back. Um, it's not all bad. It's not, it's, it's, it, things could get better soon. But I, what I would do before I start firing people, which everybody's just like, you know, if George were alive, Boone would have gotten fired two weeks ago. Like, chill the hell out. George is dead. I, I don't know how many times I have to say this, folks. George is dead. He's been dead for over ten years now. His son is a clearly different person from George. You gotta get over. If George were alive, they would have fired Boone weeks ago. I'm tired of that. I am tired of that. What I think the Yankees need to do instead of firing people is to make a trade of some kind. 
So, personally, I would target center field or first base because clearly those have been the two areas where they've really struggled. Now, getting Voigt back could be like a healthy Voigt at least. Getting a healthy Luke Voigt back could be almost like making a trade, but center field, they're getting almost zero production right now. It's like a rotating cast of characters. Judge is playing center field every now and then. Gardner, who's hitting below 200, is playing center field every now and then. Tyler Wade's getting some reps out there. I would try and find a competent outfielder, and I would try and find it fast. Somebody good, too. So that's what I would do if I were the Yankees. That's the moves I would make. Um, so that just about wraps up this edition of Brian's Beloved. I am as disappointed as it comes right now. It's been a rough week for my sports teams. That's why I'm bandwagoning the Islanders as hard as it comes right now, because I need something to get behind, folks. I need something right now. The Yankees are struggling like crazy. The Knicks are out. I have nothing right now. I am all in on the Islanders because of that right now. So anyway, um, that just about does it for today's edition of Brian's Beloved. What we're going to do next is we're going to do a quick NBA. uh, We're going to recap some of uh, the recent uh, action in the NBA playoffs. Uh, I'm also going to preview the second round, which is now officially all set. In fact, the uh, second round's already started in the East. We've already had Game 1 of the Bucks nets series and Game 1 of the Sixers-Hawks series. So uh, we'll, pre- we'll talk about all that uh, coming up next in the NBA playoff portion of today's episode. Stay tuned, folks. I'm just going to pick up where we last left off in the NBA, uh, which was on Friday. Um, we did a pretty good recap of what was going on in the NBA playoffs um, on Friday's episode. But, um, you know, there's been some good action this weekend. Uh, I'll start with uh, the Friday uh, Game 6 between the Clippers and Mavericks. Uh, Clippers won on the road to force a Game 7. Um, Kawhi Leonard was amazing. I mean, he was just unstoppable in this game. I watched this game. Michael Edgley was house-sitting for his parents this weekend. So I went over to Michael Edgley's house in Potomac, uh, his family's house, and uh, we watched this game. And my Uber to go home uh, came before this game ended, so I I kept watching it on my phone. Kawhi hit this incredible falling-away shot. And um, and the hand in his face, it was a dagger. It was the Mike Breen bang-type moment. Um, Actually, I believe Mike Breen was calling this game, and he said, BANG! when Kawhi hit this shot that gave him 45 points now I was in my Uber at the time watching this game on my phone and look I just sometimes when I'm watching sports in public I don't have uh, self-awareness and um, I just said out loud Kawhi you animal and um, my Uber driver turns around she's like what excuse me and I'm like oh 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 I'm I'm really sorry Uh, I didn't mean to uh, say that out loud I'm actually watching an NBA game on my phone and she was like, and she just started laughing. My Uber driver thought it was the funniest thing. And when we got back to my apartment, um, the Uber driver asked me, she's like, did the game end? And I'm like, yeah, Clippers won. There's going to be a game seven on Sunday. She's like, oh, that sounds awesome. I'm going to have to watch that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to watch that too. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad I did because, um, well, game seven wasn't great, but this was a great series. This was a lot of fun. These are two really, really good teams, the Clippers and the Mavericks, that are fairly evenly matched, I would say. Um, I think the Mavericks just ultimately ran out of gas in that Game 7. Luka did all he could to carry Dallas in Game 7. We'll talk about Game 7. Now, since I'm already... I know the Atlanta Sixers game was already played um, before this on Sunday, but since we're already 
uh, kind of in a roll with uh, the Clippers Mavericks series. I'll just finish the series off and talk about Game Seven. Luca did all he could. I mean, Luca was amazing in this game. The only area where Luca really struggled was at the free throw line. Hang on, I'm going to give you his stats from the free throw line because they were not great, if I remember correctly. Uh, why doesn't ESP? Here we go. He's seven of eleven, and those four free throws could have like been a huge difference. And I mean, they were. It could have been a difference in this game. Luca, other than the free throws, I shouldn't be focusing on that because he had a great game. He scored 46 points, 17 of 30 shooting, 5 of 11 from 3, and 14 assists as well. He did all he could. Dorian Finney-Smith had 18 points as well. Clippers still won by 15 points. They won easily. The Clipper, In fact, the Mavericks only got 6 bench points in this whole game. That was the difference in the game. I'm looking at it now. The... Uh, the, the Clippers had 25 bench points. Mavericks only had four, or six, excuse me, six. So that was the big difference in the game. Uh, Kawhi had 28 points. Paul George had 22. Now, former Nick, Marcus Morris, had 23. He had probably his best game of the series in this one. Uh, and that uh, eliminated the Mavericks. Uh, Clippers move on to the next round. And um, we will we'll talk about their second round matchup in just a second. But uh, I'm going to go back to Saturday now and talk about the Nets Bucks series. Game one of that series was Saturday night. Now I I said this on the podcast last episode. I strongly think that whoever wins this series could win the NBA Finals. Um, and the Nets James Harden got hurt in this game. James Harden got hurt very early in this game. If I'm mistaken, I'm not mistaken. He got hurt in the first quarter. I didn't watch this game because I hate the Nets, but. Um, James Harden got hurt in the first quarter. He only played one minute, and um, that was it for Harden. And he has a hamstring injury. He's out for tonight's game. Game two of the series is tonight, Monday night. Um, and um, they didn't miss him. It didn't matter. They still won 115 to 107. I actually thought it was a little bit easier than the final scoreline indicated for the Nets. Uh, Kevin Durant had 29 points. Uh, Kyrie Irving had 25 points. And you know who else had a big game for the Brooklyn Nets in this one? Blake Griffin. I'm not not even kidding. Blake Griffin had 18 points and 14 rebounds. That's a great night for Blake. Uh, congrats, like good for Blake. Honestly, you know he deserves a, a game like that. Um, I still hate the Nets, obviously, but good for him. Joe Harris, who's another player I like for the Nets. He's just a white guy who can shoot threes. I, I like Joe Harris. Um, he's got he's got night. He scored 19 points in this game as well. The Bucks. Um, Giannis did all he could. He scored 34 points. Um, Let's see. Uh, he uh, he often struggles from the line as well. Yeah, he went over three from the line. Uh, I think this is going to be a long series. I don't think just because Brooklyn won Game One without Harden that Milwaukee's going to go away. In fact, I think the Harden injury will ultimately end up helping Milwaukee a little bit. But um, I still have the Nets winning the series in seven games. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Um, I'm going to watch Game Two tonight. I'm going to have it on my iPad. I'm going to have the Islander game on my TV tonight. And uh, it's going to be a nice, uh, nice, nice night of New York sports, I would say. But let's go, Bucks! Fear the deer! Fear the deer! We are a Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Fear the deer! Uh, the other Sunday game. I know I'm going back and forth a little bit between days here, but uh, the Hawks 76ers game was great. Uh, well, it wasn't great at the start. Atlanta got off to a great start. Uh, they went on a 17 nothing run in the second quarter, uh, and that really was the difference in the game. Philly did come back towards the end. Um, but Atlanta just slowly like, put him away. Um, the, the dagger moment, I would say, was when 
Uh, Trey Collins threw up an alley oop to John. Or Trey Young threw up an alley oop to John Collins, and that was the uh, the the dagger type moment I would say for the Hawks in that game. Um, and um, yeah, Trey was amazing again. He had 35 points, 10 assists. Um, he's a great player. Collins had 21 points. Uh, Bogdanovich had 21 points as well for the Hawks. And they overcame a great game from Joel Embiid. Now, there was a lot of skepticism going into this game. Is Joel Embiid going to play? How efficient is Joel Embiid going to be? How, how you know, if, if he is going to play, like how much can we realistically get from Joel Embiid? Joel Embiid played his guts out. I, I was really impressed with Embiid in this one. Um, 39 points in this game, 12 of 21 shooting. Nine boards as well uh, for a guy who I think is going to come up runner-up in MVP this year in the NBA. If he hadn't gotten hurt, he might have won the award. But um, Simmons cannot shoot free throws. Uh, that is a problem. I, I, the, the guy is awful. Like, he's bad in the regular season. He's even worse in the playoffs, if possible. Is it? It's, it's hard to imagine somebody being even worse at free throws in the playoffs, but Ben Simmons actually is. Um, and he, um, he went 3 of 10 from the free throw line. Uh, a bad night from Ben Simmons. He did score 17 points. He was 7 of 7 from the field, but those free throws really cost the team, um, I would say. And also, the other thing about the Sixers in this game is they were not hitting threes that they're normally hitting. You know, um, they've got Curry, and they've got uh, uh, Danny Green, who are normally really good from three. Uh, Curry, I guess, was okay. He was 5 of 9, but he did miss some big ones. Um Danny Green went 0 of 4 from 3 and only scored 4 points in the game. They're going to need more production from Danny Green if they want to win this series. But I was impressed with the Hawks. I'm glad they won this game. They survived a furious, an absolutely furious Sixers rally towards the end to win this game, 128 to 124, and they win or they take a one nothing lead in the best of 7. Tonight, we've also got game 1 of the Nuggets Sun series. Now, I am very interested in this series Phoenix Knocked off the bitchy Lakers in six games. Um, I was really happy to see that. The Nuggets knocked off Portland as well in six games. This is going to be a good matchup. I think this is going to be a seven-game series. I am rooting for the Nuggets, honestly. As much as I appreciate the Suns beating the Lakers and knocking them out, I kind of like this Denver team. I, I really enjoy watching Jokic play. I really enjoy watching Michael Porter Jr. play, even though the Knicks could have had him. Um I'm happy for Campasso's having a good season and Austin Rivers. This is a good team. I'm rooting for the Nuggets, I would say, to beat the Suns. I think that's a seven-game series out west um, between Denver and Phoenix. Uh, I'll keep my eye on that one for sure. I'll definitely be watching as much of it as I can. It starts late. It's a 10 o'clock tip tonight, but um, I'll be watching as much of it as I can. Uh, and then uh, the other series in the west is the Clippers and the Jazz. Uh, I think Utah's going to win. The Clippers have never made it past the second round. And I just really like Utah this year. I think they're a really good team. I think people are sleeping on them for some reason. They have been good. They've been arguably the best team in the NBA all season. People are still sleeping on the Utah Jazz. They've got Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, the other Bogdanovich, who's killing it for them. Uh, and just, a, you know, Clarkson off the bench. This is a really good team. Kawhi is going to have to put the Clippers on his back if they want to win this series. I, I really believe that. Um I'm going to go with the Jazz in six games in that series. I am going. I think Utah will eliminate the Clippers and get to the next round. Um, either way, I think it's going to be a good game. Uh, I'm looking forward to game one of that series. That is Tuesday night 
at 10 o'clock on TNT. So that is as up to date uh, as an update, I guess, as up to date as it comes when it comes to the NBA playoffs. Uh, I am looking forward to the games tonight: the Bucks and the Nets, and the Nuggets versus the Suns. Um, I had a lot of fun. I went back over to Michael Edgley's house yesterday to watch Hawks 76ers and Mavericks Clippers, and I had a fun time watching both of them. Thank you to Mike for uh, having me over yesterday. I had a great time. Um, but, yeah, uh, these, these this is going to be – I love the NBA, and I love the NBA playoffs. I think these are going to be really fun games. It's up for grabs. You know, what's crazy is um, I think the most recent champion in this group, the most recent – uh, team in this is group to win an NBA championship is the 76ers who won in 1983. So, and a bunch of the other teams have not won. The Hawks won when they were in St. Louis. So that tells you how long ago it was. Um, the Clippers uh, have never won. The Jazz have never won. The Suns have never won. The Bucks have won in 1971 when they had Lou Alcindor. The Nets have never won. The Nuggets and Suns, they've never won. So it's all up for grabs. One team is going to win a cha- end a championship drought for the first time in a long time. So uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be exciting the rest of the way. I Watch it. I encourage you to watch it. If you, if you love basketball, you're going to love this year's NBA playoffs. All right, folks. I think that just about does it for today's uh, NBA playoff recap. You know what time it is. Let's get into today's outro. Alright folks, it is time for today's outro. You know how the outro goes. We go through all the headlines that we may have missed over the last couple of days nationally and internationally in the sports world. And folks, I stayed up until 12.30am this morning watching a glorious soccer game in Denver between the USA and Mexico, the Nations League final. And boy, am I glad I stayed up for the end of this one, folks. It was Beautiful, beautiful. Our main, look, for those of you who don't know, the U.S. men's national team, our soccer team, our main rival has always, always been Mexico. It's been beef for years and years. Obviously, it makes sense. They're good at soccer. We occasionally are good at soccer. Uh, There's legitimate bad blood between the USA and Mexico, and I think there's going to be even more after this game last night, the Nations League final. Uh, I have a recap of the game for you here. Um, and some other, just some other notes from this game because it was just a wild and beautiful game. Just a fantastic. Uh, this is why I love soccer, folks. I love this game. Like, this was one of those games where it just made me, you know, I've I've mentioned how I've been down on European soccer at least, but I'll always, always support and love the men's national team, even though they've sometimes made it very hard to do so. So here's a recap of their game against Mexico last night, the CONCACAF Nations League final. Christian Pulisic, American hero, Christian Pulisic, converted a penalty, penalty kick in the 114th minute. Backup goalkeeper Ethan Horvath stopped Andres Guardado's penalty kick in the 124th minute. And the United States overcame an early defensive blunder to beat Mexico 3-2 on Sunday night in the final of the first ever CONCACAF Nations League that turned on three video reviews. In a testy match, Giovanni Reina, who scored the first U.S. goal, left the field when it appeared to be hit when he appeared to be hit in the face by an object thrown from the stands following Pulisic's goal. Now, for, I'll I'll just go to Pulisic's goal first. It was a penalty. They went to VAR. They reviewed it. They determined that it was a penalty for the United States. Pulisic, of course, 
is our best player. Uh, so, of course, he's taking the penalty shot for the U.S. Um, he lines up, and he nails it. Top right-hand corner, beautiful shot by Pulisic. Uh, nothing the keeper could do about it. Pulisic immediately knew what he was doing. I will make this... I think Pulisic knew what he was doing. He, the Mexican fans had been... Look, I watched a lot of this game on mute, but I know for a fact the Mexican fans were, like, yelling and... They were chanting anti-gay slurs and a bunch of other just awful stuff. Pulisic went right over, took his shirt off, revealed revealed that <laughs> revealed that beautiful body of his, and um, shushed the Mexican fans when he scored this goal. I loved it personally. I absolutely loved it. I was fired up when he did that. Um, the Mexican fans were not. They uh, started throwing. Uh, items at the fan, at the U.S. players, including Rania, who got hit in the face, and um, there was a lot of that. There was a lot, a lot of bad stuff from the Mexican fans. Like, like this article continues, this match was also halted for about three minutes during the second half stoppage time because of discriminatory chants at Empower Field in Denver. Yeah, so just not good. That's awful. There's, that, there's no place for that. No place for that, as far as I'm concerned. The Mexico fans got to do better. Um, stay classy, Mexico. Stay classy. Um, Pulisic, fresh off of winning the Champions League with Chelsea on May 29th, cut down, cut the inside inside the penalty area and was pulled down by Carlos Salcedo in the 108th minute. I'm so proud of this group. We needed everyone today, and it was a phenomenal performance, Pulisic said after the match. Panamanian referee John Pitti did not initially signal a penalty, but consulted a video review and then pointed to the spot. Mexico Colts... Gerardo Tata Martino appeared to receive a red card for putting a hand on an official during the review, and Herving Lozano was given a yellow card for arguing after the decision. Pulisic sent the ball into the upper corner past the left arm of goalkeeper Guillermo Ochoa for a 16th international goal. PT again did not make a call in the 119th minute when Luis Romano's header went off the left arm of Mark McKenzie, whose arm was perhaps only slightly outstretched. Yes, did not think that was a penalty. They went to VAR. They reviewed it. They called it a penalty. I did not think it was a penalty. I thought it was very soft. The CBS broadcasters thought it was incredibly soft as well. So Ethan Horvath, the second Ethan on this episode, <laughs> Ethan Hor- see second Ethan to get mentioned on this episode, I guess. Uh, he came in for Stefan. Zach Stefan's our number one right now. Um, he's with Manchester City. He's really good. Um, Horvath replaced him in the 69th minute, and um, he came. He this is a Huge opportunity for Horvath, who made some great saves in this game as well, by the way. Um, the penalty shot uh, was it was a beautiful stop by Horvath. Like, I damn near cried tears of joy when Horvath stopped that shot. I was like, yes! I know it was really late at night, but I was like, yes! When Horvath stopped that shot. Um, just to continue... Um, the uh, the recap here. Horvath, who replaced injured starter Saxefin in the 69th minute, waited to the last moment and dived right to bat away the penalty from Mexico's captain. Me and Zach have been on the national team since we were 14 years old together. He just said, everyone believes in me and just do me, Horvath said. The U.S. had to survive an extended 11 minutes of stoppage time following the second extra period. Each and every game unfolds in a different way, and I think today is going to go down as one of the classic games in this rivalry, U.S. manager Greg Berhalter said. We're a young side, and we need to learn how to win, Berhalter added. It's also about the fight and spirit. They really showed the heart of champions. On Horvath's heroics, 
Berhalter said, It's been a tough season for him, and to come have a performance like that in his hometown of Denver was the stuff of storybooks. Martino did not speak to reporters following... That's Tata Martino, the Mexico coach. Did not speak to reporters following the match, but assistant coach Jorge Teeler said his side should play should play a great game. Journalism's not... Grammar in this article's not very good. I think that Mexico had a good match. No doubt the Mexican team should have won that side for what we did on the pitch. For the game we played, the 90 minutes should have gone for the Mexican side. Guardado also expressed the sentiment that his side seemingly gifted the game away. I think we were the superior side. Their goals were from set pieces. It's a concern for us. I leave content with our team's composure. We did what we had to do to win. Look, I'm just very proud of the United States men's national team. Um, this, you know, lifted my spirits after that Yankees loss, honestly. I was really fired up after we beat Mexico. To see Pulisic take his shirt off and to go shush the Mexican fans like that was awesome. Awesome. I love that. That is an iconic moment. That is a U.S. men's national team is back moment as far as I'm concerned. You know, we have been down for a couple of years. The loss to Trinidad and Tobago still stings. It's, I'd be lying if I didn't say that still stings. Like, I remember I was working at the time for Sirius XMFC, the only soccer-specific radio station in the United States, and we, were t- we had a, a meeting that day, the day the U.S. lost to Trinidad and Tobago. All they had to do was win that game to go to the World Cup. And we were talking in that meeting like it was a done deal, because like, it was a done deal. Why would the U.S. lose to Trinidad and Tobago? And we have been struggling since that loss that day. We have been struggling to get back to where you know to a respectable stage on the national level. Missing the World Cup in 2018 hurt, but this team is poised and ready, I think, to make a 2022 run. They're young, just like their country. They're young, scrappy, and hungry, and they're not throwing away their shot. Hamilton reference. That's I wanted to do that so bad. Um, but yeah, uh, this team is awesome. Uh, I, re- I love these guys. Uh, I'm really rooting for them. I think they're going to be in the World Cup in 2022. This is a bunch of momentum going into qualifying and what should be a fun summer for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, great win. Great win. And Mexico fans are classless as far as I'm concerned. Like, they're classless. Like, they've always done this stuff. It's not cool. And um, it's disrespectful. It's homophobic. It's awful. Awful, awful, awful. But... A great win for the United States men's national team, and I'm really proud of them. And, uh, yeah, just, just, uh, Polisic, man, he's a beast. I, I look, for, I just love watching him turn into one of the best players there is. Like, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch him just get better and better. Uh, all right, so now we go from football to football, as uh, my boy Patrick Montgomery always says. Patrick always says, like, are we talking football or football? We're talking football. I th- football. We're talking American football now. Um, big trade yesterday. Uh, a big shakeup in the NFL, I would say. The Atlanta Falcons agreed to trade wide receiver Julio Jones to the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. In exchange for Jones, the Titans will send a tw- uh, 2022 second round draft pick and a 2023 fourth round selection to the Falcons along with Jones. The Falcons will also send a 2023 sixth round pick to the Titans. The deal is pending a, phys- uh, pending a physical, the Titans said. Excited to add Julio to the football team. He's excited to be a part of what we've got going on in Nashville. It's a big day for our team, Titans general manager John Robinson told reporters on Sunday. Robinson said talks picked up Saturday before the two teams agreed to terms on Sunday. Besides Jones passing a physical, Robinson said the Titans also have to work work to do to fit Jones' contract under their salary cap. 
Robinson indicated that would likely be through restructuring contracts and not cutting players. Robinson said that once he became aware that Jones was available, he and the team's coaches started to evaluate his potential fit with the Titans. He's big, he's fast, he's tough, he's great with the ball with the he's great with the ball in his hands, a willing blocker. I think a lot of things that we ask of our receivers get open, catch, block. He certainly checks those boxes. He's done it at a high level in the National Football League. Titans players Derrick Henry and AJ Brown have expressed on social media their interest in having Jones as a teammate. Late last mo- month, Brown posted a TikTok video to Jones explaining why the Titans would be the perfect fit for the star receiver. Several Titans players expressed their excitement for the trade on Sunday on Twitter, including left tackle Taylor Luan, who saluted Robinson, and quarterback Ryan Tannehill. Brown shared a photo of Twitter of himself, Jones and Henry, all in Titans jerseys, writing, please excuse me my language when I say, when I say this, y'all done fucked up. The Titans lost two of their top pass catchers in free agency as wide receivers Corey Davis signed with the New York Jets, tight end John U. Smith signed with the Tennessee Titans, or sorry, signed with the New England Patriots. Tennessee's odds at Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill to win the Super Bowl improved from 35 to 1 to 30 to 1, while its odds to win the AFC improved from 18 to 1 to 15 to 1. The Titans' odds to win the AFC South, meanwhile, improved from, from plus 120 to plus 110, tying them with the Indianapolis Colts. Jones has been the subject of trade conversation over the past two months as Atlanta tries to remedy its salary cap situation. On FS1 on May 24th, Jones said, I'm out of there, when asked about the Falcons' telephone call in a telephone call with Shannon Sharp on the network's Undisputed show. It's unclear whether Jones knew the phone call was being televised. Jones, whose base salary was of $15.3 million, is fully guaranteed for this season, was scheduled to cost the Falcons $23.5 million against the cap in 2021, as cap hits of $19.263 million in 2022 and 2023. By moving him after June 1st, it offers the Falcons relief against the cap, as the season would have been dead money owed to him and would have been split between this season and the next. So this is a big trade. Um, Julio Jones obviously makes the tight, the Titans, as they say on the Michael K show better. Um, I think he is a great wide receiver. I know Michael Edgley. I was talking to him yesterday. He's a saints fan, of course. And he was very happy that Julio Jones is no longer in the NFC South. Um, and I think he absolutely makes the Titans better because now you've got Ryan Tannehill, Derek Henry, who rushed for 2000 yards. AJ Brown is a good wide receiver in his own right. And Julio Jones, who really cares if they lost Corey Davis, really. I know Corey Davis is a solid player, and the Jets are definitely lucky to have him, but um, they can survive without Corey Davis because now they've got Julio Jones. Um, I, I think they're definitely an AFC contender to win the AFC. I think the AFC is going to be much more up for grabs. I was talking to Lee Ulica about this yesterday because um, um, we were both at Michael Edgley's house, and um, Lee, of course, is as locked into football as it gets, and... Um, he was saying that he thinks that the Titans could definitely win the AFC. Like he thinks that you know, this is a talented team for sure, and uh, they're going to make some moves. I, I, you know, I think they're not content with losing in the first round like they did last year. They just went to the AFC Championship game the year before, so um, I'm sure they want to get back there. Um, so we will see if they do. It's going to be uh, a, an exciting move for sure. Uh, the Falcons are going to suck next year. They're going to be a disaster. Um, they're going to be probably the worst team in the NFC South for sure. Uh, I don't know. Carolina's not great either, but, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I like this move a lot for the Titans and, um, I knew as soon as I heard that interview on uh, skip and Shannon's show 
that um, and I, I, I don't believe Julio Jones um, knew that he was being wiped up at that or that he was uh, on the call at that point. But um, I don't believe he knew. But um, I still think um, it was a sign. That was definitely a sign that he was going to leave. So, um, yeah, uh, Julio's gone out of Atlanta. Um, and um, that's the big trade in the NFL that happened this weekend. All right, this is the Pat Honan segment of the outro. I think he's going to like how we're going to close out today's episode. Um, we're we're going to talk about the Belmont first, and then he's going to like how we're going to end things from there. Um, Essential Quality won the Belmont on Saturday, the third Triple Crown, third leg of the Triple Crown. Um, three different winners at the Kentucky Derby, Preakness, and Belmont this year. I have an article on all three, or on the Belmont at least, um, Let's get into it. Brad Cox picked up his first Triple Crown win with Essential Quality's romp to victory in the Belmont Stakes on Saturday while waiting to see if he'll be awarded another from the Kentucky Derby. Cox could be a Derby winner if Mandelon is Bob, if with Mandelon, excuse me, if Bob Baffert's trained Medina Spirit is disqualified. But Cox was able to enjoy his this one with Essential Quality beating Hot Rod Charlie by one and one fourth lengths, one and one quarter length. Essential Quality who went off as a 6-5 favorite, passed early leader Hot Rod Charlie around the final turn and held on to win the $1 million race over 1.5 miles. He paid $4.60 to win, $3 to place, and $2.60 to show. That's, that's a lo- that was a long way around the mo- there a mile and a half, but it was exciting, Cox said. It looked like the horse on the inside. He still had run left. I knew it was going to be a battle down the lane. Preakness winner Rombauer was third, and Known Agenda was fourth. Essential Quality, a striking gray colt, finished fourth as a beaten favorite in the Kentucky Derby because of a rough trip. Essential Quality showed in the Belmont why he has long been considered one of the top three-year-olds in the country. In the Kentucky Derby, we were so confident that we were going to win that race, said jockey Luis Saez, who won a triple crown race for the first time. By the way, I just want to point out I didn't really like NBC's coverage of the Belmont today, uh, this year. Um, as soon as Saez won, the person who was interviewing him immediately was like, "Oh yeah, your dead your dead brother must be really happy about that." Like, do you really have to like remind him that his, his brother died like in a tragic accident? Like, I thought that was a little much. Like, your your brother, who, you know, she didn't say your your dead brother. She said your brother who died in a tragic accident. I'm sure he wants to be reminded of that. Um, he was ready for the race, but we had a little unlucky start. Today, the main thing was to try and break clean, and the rest, I knew he was going to do it. Backdooring his way to becoming the first Louisville-born trainer to win the Kentucky Derby wouldn't allow Cox the same joy of victory as the Belmont, which was the up-and-coming star will likely remember as his first true Triple Crown triumph. And Cox saw this coming. He predicted last summer that essential quality would be his first would be his horse for the Belmont, and that proved true, being a tough field of seven other horses. It was something of redemption for Saez, who thought he had his first Triple Crown victory, finishing first in 2019 with maximum security. But maximum security was disqualified for impeding other horses. There was no DQ this time. Hot Rod Charlie ran a tremendous race, and I thought with the hot pace, we were in a good spot with where they would come back, Cox said. Luis did a fantastic job of getting him in position for the turning for the home, and he was able to really show his stamina late. Saez said the Belmont was his second home. This was the race I wanted to win. The United Arab Emirates ruler Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashad al-Makatoum owns essential quality. Cox made a point to mention him 
moments after the Belmont. Sheikh Mohammed, he's been supporting us the last two years, and this is, tr- and this is a tremendous organization, a world-class organization. We wouldn't be here, obviously, without this horse and his support. So I just really want to thank him. This race was run without a horse trained by Baffert, who was banned by the New York Racing Association after Medina Spirit failed a post-derby drug test for the presence of steroids. Churchill Downs suspended Baffert for two years following a second sample from the derby, came back positive, which is prohibited at any level uh, on race day in Kentucky, Maryland, and New York. Normalcy returned to Belmont after a topsy-turvy 2020 that featured a race leading off the Triple Crown at a non-traditional 1 and one eighth mile distance at an empty racetrack. Yeah, the Belmont was weird as hell last year. It made no sense. Why would the Belmont be first? I know COVID and everything, but that made no sense at all. The race was back in its traditional spot as the third leg of the Triple Crown, five weeks after the Derby and three after the Preakness. And it's back to its test of the champion distance and had thousands of mostly maskless fans roaming the vast grandstand at Belmont Park. Yes, it was nice to see. The one refreshing thing about really all these sporting events is that it's really nice to see that we're all getting our lives back to back to normal. And uh, this was no different at the Belmont. So congratulations to Essential Quality. Um, I only mention this really because Patrick Honan is such a big uh, horse racing guy, and he was even talking to me about the undercard. Uh, like like the Kentucky Derby, Pat Honan was messaging me about the undercard. He said there was a horse with a Nick-type name. Actually, let me let me look that up, actually. Horse Nick's... I can't remember the name. Horse Nick... It was called Nick's Go, right? Yeah, uh, Nick's Go. Um, I was rooting for that horse. He said he came close, but he ultimately lost the undercard. Um or the pre or the prelims or whatever it's called in horse racing, um, yeah. So I, I enjoyed um, I enjoyed watching the Kentucky Derby. I watched all three legs. I shout out to Pat Honan, man. Pat Honan made me watch all three legs of the Kentucky the Kentucky Derby, the Belmont, and the Preakness. He made me watch all three this year, and I'm glad I did. So uh, thank you to Pat Honan for that. I'm gonna keep watching it in the future for sure. It's a great event, and uh, yeah. Um, look, um, I. Don't really want to talk a whole lot about this. I'm glad I didn't watch a second of it. It was a waste of time and money for everyone involved. But this Logan Paul Mayweather fight was just stupid. It was an exhibition. Nobody won. Much like I just, if you spent money on this fight, you are one of the biggest morons on the face of the earth, as far as I'm concerned. Don't spend, like, why would you spend money on this stupid fight? Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather now. I will. It's just funny because I looked at the pictures after the fight. There's been a couple memes that have come out. Mayweather just doesn't look tired at all. Like it it looks like this was easy light work for Mayweather, and Paul looks like he's just gone ten. It looks like a guy who's gone eight rounds with Floyd Mayweather. So, um, but Floyd did say he was impressed with Logan Paul. Uh, I'm not going to read you a whole article about it. Uh, I really don't care. I'm sh- I wonder if uh, I'll be on Sports on the Hill tonight. By the way, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Robbie and Carol's podcast. I'm looking forward to being on with them. Uh, I hope. I don't know if he's going to be on, but we'll see if Paul the Boxing Guy makes an appearance to talk about this. Maybe I'll get Paul the Boxing Guy on this podcast sometime soon. He's got a busy schedule, so we'll see. But um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention um, that 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 fight. Uh, I thought it was just a dumb waste of money, a cash grab by Paul and Mayweather, and uh, anybody who met mo- spent money on this is a fool as far as I'm concerned. All right, I promised a special ending for Pat Honan. Oh, look, I just want to make this clear. I'm still very – I'm definitely rooting for the Islanders as hardcore as it gets right now. Uh, I really want them to win, and um, I'm going to make two predictions. I'm going to make a prediction for tonight's game against the Bruins. 
that Pat Honan's going to like. One, Josh Bailey's going to score. Josh Bailey is going to get a goal tonight against the Bruins. Uh, he will score one of the goals for the Islanders. I don't know what the final score is going to be, but I know Josh Bailey is going to score one of the goals. And people will be singing the song that Pat Honan wants me to sing on this show, and that is, Hey, Josh Bailey. Ooh, ah, I want to know if you'll score that goal. Now, that's not the most original chant in the world because uh, it was used in European soccer as well. Um, I know uh, in Liverpool they used to chant, John Arnarese, ooh, ah, I want to know how you scored that goal. But uh, I do want to give the Islanders a little bit of good luck. So uh, I'm going to play a quick little song for them. I'm going to play their victory song. Now, this is just, I love this song. This is... I you know I, it's come back into my life because it's the Islanders' victory song, but it's actually a really good, upbeat song. I don't know if I'm gonna play the whole thing for you, but it's a really happy song, and I think it's a good way to close out today's episode. Let's go Islanders! Here's today's ending to today's episode. Great song. So good, uh, it just makes me so happy. More teams should use this as their victory song, honestly. It's just a feel good, happy song. Just puts everybody in a good mood. I think this is the type of song we need on a Monday. We're gonna listen to the whole thing.
Oh, yeah. We'll see if that inspires the Islanders as they play Game 5 in Boston tonight. Let's see if they can get it done. Like I said, I am picking Josh Bailey to score for the Islanders. That is my... If, if you're betting on anything, that would be the pick I would make. He's become one of my favorite players for the Islanders. I enjoy watching Josh Bailey a lot. And like I said, I really enjoy uh, the Sezekis clutterbuck martin line as well. So we'll see what happens. This has been a fun series. And um, like I said, I, look, I think there's an orange and blue brotherhood in New York. You know, I, I've, like I said on the last episode, I have no shame in rooting for the Islanders because they have the same colors as the Knicks. Um it's different in baseball for me because I'm such a huge Yankees fan. I care that much about the Yankees where I, I have no problem or I, I hate on the Mets all the time. But it's different for me in hockey. So um, let's see if the Islanders can even the series up tonight. Let's hope that that song can kind of spark them a little bit. And uh, I'm not even going to bother with the rest of the NHL playoff update, honestly. Uh, we've gone long enough on today's episode now. I don't care about the rest of the NHL. I know Vegas and Colorado is tied at 2 the Jets are up, or the Canadians are up 3-0 on Winnipeg right now. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and there, actually, there is one thing I do want to talk about with uh, hockey that's, that's kind of exciting news. Um, they approved uh, that teams can cross the border now for the conference finals, so that's exciting. Um, I'm glad that, um, that they finally fixed that rule. Personally, I think the candidate, I think it's going to be, um, I, think, I, I don't know how it's going to go if they're going to reseed or if the Canada team is going to play the, the West team, how it's going to work. But if the Canada team plays either Colorado or Vegas, I think they're going to get smashed. <laughs> I think they're going to get destroyed. It's going to be a short trip for the Canada team to the U.S. But um, I am happy they opened up the border. And uh, let's see if the Islanders can take care of business tonight against the Bruins. That seems like a good place to end today's episode. The Yankees... Play better, Yankees. Please make Friday a po- happier podcast. That's all I ask for. Please. Please. Um, subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at UFRWBB. Follow me personally on Twitter at bbry1991. Follow me personally on Instagram, bbry1991. Um, uh, there's a couple of people, now that we're kind of back in guest mode, we had Ethan on today. There's a couple of people who have expressed interest in coming on uh, the show in the future. Uh, for example, Drugs Only, uh, the rapper who did the Nix tape and the Big 15 mixtape as well, uh, has expressed interest in coming on uh, the show to talk a little Nix. Dominic has expressed interest to ex- talk about Buck Showalter, I guess. I would love to have Dominic on, but I, I know he's going to complain the whole time. So I don't know. I don't know how much how good that would be for podcasting. But um, there's a lot of people who have expressed interest. I'd hope to have them all on at some point in the future. And uh, that just about does it for today's episode of Upon Further Review with Brian Brennan, folks. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time.